Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, good morning, and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast Breakfast Show pre Calcutta Cup edition. Yes, that is right. The Six Nations is here, and it is the biggest game of the calendar, Scotland versus England at Twickenham tomorrow to kick things off. You just cannot beat it. It is David, Matt and Alan with you to talk through the team and preview what is always the biggest game of the year. Alan, how's that level of hope building? Can you feel it in like the bottom of your stomach? Do you remember, I don't think there's ever been a time in our lifetimes where there's been this much optimism going into a Twickenham away match. And, and and actually, it's creating fear in the pit of my stomach. I think the last time there was this much sort of optimism was the time we shipped 60. And it was like peak Hugh Jones and everyone was like, we're going to carve up. And we got absolutely dispatched. That's I yeah. think that's the last time I can remember going to Twickenham feeling happy. Yeah. It's uh, it feels it feels very strange. Obviously, the bookies are still very much siding towards England, but it feels like the general sort of narrative, both in sort of the press, but also on Twitter is much more 50 50 or potentially even siding slightly towards Scotland. Mm. And I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. No, Matt, <laughs> Matt, how are you feeling about it all? Just nice to, to have Six Nations back. It feels like there's been quite a lot of shit going on in the world of rugby in general. It's getting quite a lot of heat from a lot of corners. So maybe we can just like focus on on the pitch stuff and have a bit of entertainment the weekend so well yes and we will be with you of course throughout the whole six nations and you can follow us on twitter at thistle uh wait what is it at thistle rugby pod of course it is on instagram thistle underscore rugby underscore pod the real strategy has kicked off our fans will be seeing those 
dropping in. Alan's been mining TikTok for some of the latest trends, and you're going to get some incredible content there. I keep having to delete TikTok, though. It's so addictive. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 1 a.m. I'm just like doom scrolling. Like, oh, God, I need to get off this, but it's just so good. I think the online harms bill doesn't like take into account just like the addictivity for like people in like their mid 30s of TikTok as well. Yeah, it's really 100%. focused on like, you know, child porn and stuff, but not the real victims. It's tough. Um, and then, of course, you can get us on on our Substack. Um, that's on um, Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast on Substack. Subscribe over there. We will do a debrief newsletter on Monday capturing all of the fallout from the game on Saturday. And finally, one last plug for our Fanzo Pint Predictor League. Um, download the Fanzo app um, and you can predict the scores for all of the Six Nations games. And if you get those, if you get them either spot on or if you get them close, you're winning free pints of Guinness at pubs all across the UK. And if you join our league, Thistle, firstly, you'll be joining hundreds and hundreds of other people to compete against but secondly if you get in that league before the end of friday end of tonight so friday the third you will be entered into a prize draw to win free tickets for scotland versus italy last weekend of the six nations so it's an absolutely cracking prize and a great opportunity for a bit of competition and to win some pints so get the fanzo app downloaded predict your scores and join that league thistle um Let's get straight into it. Squad announcement yesterday. Firstly, the SRU just going early at like 8.30 in the morning. That's like a new thing to surprise everyone. Loved it. Do, do you think it had, you know, maybe some people in the press slash, I guess, ourselves in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in certain ways were getting access to the team. So they were just like, oh, fuck it, let's launch it. Or do you think actually it was... A... Possibly, but nobody got it right. Yeah. Like we got Crosby right, but people were telling us that Cam Redpath was going to start. Redpath could have been injured. Don't know. Could have been injured. We don't know. But like John Barkley didn't get it right. Tom English didn't get it right. No, it's true. And and also the sort of English team had already basically been leaked, right? So yeah. it wasn't mm. like there was any sort of like significant advantage of of sort of keeping keeping it under under wraps. I liked um, it. Well, just like the, the secret, they, they, they never specified, you know, when normally like the team will be announced at 12 yeah. or 2, they didn't actually specify any point, I think. So they were just like, fuck it, we're going to launch when we when we want. I, I was I was pleasantly surprised, you know, get it, get it out there early. And Matt, there was there was a few, certainly a few talking points in there. What was the one that sort of struck you most when you first looked at the team? I think uh, between two, I think the fact that John DL had come out in the week and said had basically talked up Xander Fagerson's fitness and like said that he's like you know the fittest he's ever been, et cetera, et cetera, and then to not even see him in the twenty three was pretty surprising. Um, I'm sure we'll come on to it, but is maybe like my biggest worry about the team. Um, and then the the other one I think is well the other two probably actually is I think Price out of the twenty three entirely is like a big big call um yeah and I, I think you put a thing on or someone put a thing on our twitter that kev miller had posted like last however many what uh, however many starts it was at nine for scotland like between Laidlaw and price in recent years no one's really broke that up so it's a pretty big statement um and then harris um you know all three of these guys lions um harris not starting when he's been such a a mainstay and, and jones in recent years, it doesn't really seem to have been a Townsend favourite. So quite quite a few talking points, really. 
good job we've got a podcast on which to do that should we get the prop should we get props out of the way just so we don't embarrass ourselves when we're in sort of full flow um obviously pierre sherman we, we was probably stuck on there um at loose head but then nell chosen in that front row with george turner in, in between them um you guys happy with that front row matt you seem to have some sort of concerns um i think if we, we talked about it before like nell starting we could kind of get comfortable with if he was there to basically scrummage for 45 50 minutes and then Zand and then Fakerson to come on but the fact Fakerson isn't evolved at all um is a bit of a concern now I, th- I think I was kind of like looking back a bit over like Bergen's involvement and to be fair to him in sort of like 2017 2018 I, he played in quite a few big games and a few big wins for Scotland and I don't think he ever let anyone down but his career seems to have like slowed a little bit, um, not getting much game time at Edinburgh. And then even with his move to, to Glasgow, I think he's been injured quite a bit, but he's not really played. So it is a bit of a, a concern at, at three. I guess my sort of amateur view on the sort of Schumann-Nell combination up against obviously Sinclair and Genge is clearly... Nell's not as mobile around the park as Sinclair and Genge, but I wonder whether that does. We do have a slight advantage at scrum time. Um, I know, sort of historically, Sinclair and Genge have been broadly quite average when it comes mm. to comes to the scrum. Obviously, great, great in open field, and I wonder if just <laughs> the the mandate to Nell is like, don't go further away than like a meter from any ruck, and just <laughs> like just just save your just focus on just nailing your scrums for like six for like 50 minutes yeah. that's Whatever that's you all do, you need to do do not get caught in like a wide channel or yeah else yeah, it's yeah, over. yeah yeah it just it just takes the knee after each scrum and just waits for the next one 100 <laughs> percent. just walk off the pitch just, <laughs> don't worry about it um but yeah in, interesting i again they've not really come out and said around injuries but um obviously batty being picked ahead of sutherland yeah, on, on the bench as mm. well is kind of an interesting one, I guess. Again, another line, right? That's that's now completely dropped out of the the twenty three, and and you know, good for good for for Batty. He and... has been coming back from injury though, hasn't he? Yeah, Sutherland. Yeah, no, Over no, Ulster, yeah, it's true. And also, I guess potentially, there's an argument to say that Batty off the bench is is potentially a little bit more impactful, just given his sort of style than than Sutherland. Although I actually think Sutherland was, was quite good off the bench. Um. For, oh, I can't remember one or two of the the autumn international games. It it is is a concern concern though. I think obviously clearly WPNL and and Bergen isn't maybe what you describe as sort of a world class situation. I think that's probably putting it kindly. Um, but if we put it looking into the second row, I mean we've talked about the renaissance of Richie Gray. He seemed as we talked about in our preview a couple of weeks ago. He now seems sort of stuck on to start. And then Matt, were you sort of unsurprised to see Gilchrist being put in? next to him that seems like a combination designed to sort of really sort of get after that english line out yeah it, it seems as if gilchrist has become a bit of a the fact he's vice captain as well like a bit of a first pick under townsend now um and, and whether some of that's been forced by the fact that cummings and gray are, are injured um probably does feed into that but i, I think to be fair gilchrist has been playing really well recently um and i think particularly in that last Edinburgh Saracens game, like his his physicality um against a big pack that's gonna provide a lot of the England squad for a decent amount, um, was was pretty encouraging. Um 
it's it's maybe I think Rachel Gray is definitely on form as well, but it but it gives you um, pretty nice like line out options. Um, so you know I, I think that Gray's like ability in the loose is maybe not what it was, but I think in terms of heft in the scrum and and height of the line out, it it kind of makes sense to me. Surprised Skinner didn't get in the twenty three. Yeah, I mean, I suppose maybe if if Johnny Gray had been fit, he maybe comes in and then Skinner goes on the bench and covers six and five. Um, but maybe they just wanted like a little bit more heft, I suppose. That's what that bench maybe says to me in the forwards. Yeah, I felt about. I, I thought you go back to that Saracens game as well. That you know both Gilchrist and Skinner both played really really well mm. against, uh, and I, I thought Skinner had a really really good game both um, around the park and and at the line-out. So feels feel quite bad, feel bad for him that he, he hasn't been able to get into the 23 because he's sort of put in a pretty big performance against what is a lot of those um, England forwards, right? But yeah. It, feel, it, feel, yeah. it feels like he's kind of stuck now between being like a really great backup second row and a really great backup uh, back row. Yeah. And yeah, I think you're right in the sense that, you know, clearly Richie Gray and Grant Gilchrist are just so much size there. And I think generally it's, it's it's quite a a big sort of four. Well, actually, included. I guess Richie's naturally not sort of a massive six, but I guess with with those two plus Crosby and Ferguson, it's like quite a lot of heft there for the Scotland pack, right? And yeah, and then looking into the back into the back row, of course, you know, Richie installed as captain, of course, um, and then Luke Crosby, the talking point, um, with then Matt Ferguson at, at eight. I think obviously Richie and Ferguson pretty much sort of nailed on. Um, Hamish Watson not recovered from whatever one of his various injuries he's got at the moment. So Luke Crosby comes right in, but sort of, you know, based on that performance for Edinburgh against Saracens that we've talked about, and just generally his form in the URC, Matt, are you sort of, you know, backing Crosby, your boy, Luke Crosby, to sort of step up? Did, did um, T- Townsend did confirm that Watson was kind of not quite match fit, right? Yeah. yeah. Watson did play okay. 80 minutes, Yeah. basically 80 minutes last week, right? But yeah, I think it's obviously that was his first match back for two months. Yeah, because yeah. it, it feels like he's still the kind of player that he's been so important. And he is such like, seems like he's a fit player anyway, aerobically, that they might have, have risked him. But and maybe even on the bench. But I suppose um, if you look at that bench, Watson can only really play seven. Whereas you say pretty much all the other back row options are quite um, adaptable and could play in a few positions. Um, but in terms of Crosby, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing him. Um, I think we talked about it being like really good for him. I think he's, I, I don't think we we necessarily have like too many players like him in terms of just being like a really abrasive, um, big unit who's also pretty good over the ball. Um, and I'm just, I'm looking forward to seeing him getting like properly stuck in. Cause I think the challenge physically that England will present, um, the chance to like get stuck into Marcus Smith, for instance, even sort of try and like put Farrell off his game. I think he's he's to the manner born for that kind of kind of approach. We we discussed I think specifically through the lens of sort of Ireland and Munster that we've not naturally we've not really had a lot of players that are like horrible bastards that you mm. don't that you don't want to play against. And I think sort of Crosby falls into that category. I think if Dempsey comes on for Ferguson, it's potentially our most like horrible bastard back row of the professional era. Feels like a Richie Crosby Dempsey oh. back row is is really <laughs> yeah, gritty yeah. 
and uh, proper shit houses, all three of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I look, you know, I guess I, I really do think that that performance against Saracens probably gave Townsend the confidence to to start Crosby in this match. You know, I've I've got a little bit of trepidation that you know he's only got the two caps, and and clearly this is a big match, and he's in a super super important position with a with a very important role, and look. Super hope he sort of steps up and clearly he seems like the sort of player it's kind of his career has been a bit more of a sort of um sort of Hamish Watson trajectory you sort of get your players like Darge and Ritchie who are sort of you know basically like professional stars from sort of 2021 whereas sort of him and Hamish Watson have really had to kind of grind their way up sort of through the prem started kind of like bit part in the Edinburgh team and then both of them really only around sort of 24, 25 kind of really started to kind of solidify their place in the Edinburgh team. So hopefully if Crosby can can end up turning out a bit like Watson was a couple of years ago, then it should be pretty good. But it, it it's it's obviously going to be a big, a big, a big step up for him. Right. Can I read a can I read a segment from a, a, a an email we got this week from uh, somebody called Simon Burnett, who's a listener? Um, and he's created an Excel spreadsheet of the stats of all Scotland's back rowers. And the title of this email is Dangerously Hot Scottish Rugby Take. Please read. So <laughs> when you get when you get that sort of clickbait coming into the mailbag, the thistlerugby at gmail.com, you have to sort of dive in. And he says it's basically he's making the case that Jamie Ritchie shouldn't be a captain or starting for Scotland. And listen to this paragraph. Um when looking at the stats of the back rowers that played the most minutes for Scotland over the last year, Ritchie, Ferguson, Watson, Darge, Dempsey and Bradbury, one stat is particularly prominent, and that is Jamie Ritchie's penalty count. He averaged two penalties a game and over the course of the Autumn Nations series gave up more penalties than every other Scottish back rower combined. He also averaged 10.7 tackles per 80 minutes compared to Ferguson's 13.5, Watson's 16.3 and Darge's 13. Point seven. Additionally, he had the most missed tackles per game and few missed tackles per tackles made. Lowest meters per carry and fewest defenders beaten per carry. So, I mean, I've just sprung that on you guys, but, you know, Simon's crunched the numbers. Alan, you've already gotten Chris Harris dropped. Do you want to see if you can get, um, do you want to see if you can get Jamie Ritchie cancelled as well? There is definitely sort of an undercurrent on across sort of like um, Twitter and a few rugby forums where people are starting to sort of question whether Richie would still have his place on on merit if he wasn't captain. Um, and I think it's probably fair to say that he hasn't quite kicked on, especially across sort of the autumn internationals. Saying that, however, I do think his sort of style and approach does bring a lot to that Scotland pack. And whilst obviously Simon Burnett has a lot of great stats there, and I love a stat, I I think in terms of that balance of that back row, it, it, work, it works pretty well. Simon has offered to send us the Excel document, so Simon, please do send that over. Um, Gen- Gen- do I would love yeah. to see it. Alan, I'd, li- probably... I'd like to see the I'd like to see the turnover stats in that as well. Um, so he has got he's like he, i could not oh, find the turnover stats ahead. for the autumn internationals which is obviously richie's strongest area but i don't remember them being particularly pr- impressive darge during the six nations won seven turnovers Fagus and five but it was just the two for watson so you know there is different ways in which mm. you can interpret all of that but yeah send through the xl drop the xl simon 
um, and appreciate it. It's like 2,000 word email. You know, I think you needed you need an editor, but a lot of it is good stuff. So thanks very <laughs> much for for sending that over. Um, let's go into the backline. Obviously, one of the big talking points. Ben White chosen at nine. I think collectively on the pod, we're big fans of White, but it was still Alan quite a big thing to see. You know, Ali Price's name not on that team sheet. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think since the World Cup, he's been such a an ever present um, role within that Scotland team, and clearly sort of had some sort of like peaks and troughs where his game sort of coming on, but. I don't think anyone, any of us thought that he wouldn't still be the starting scrum half going into the 2023 World Cup. But I think to be completely fair, when you look at Glasgow, it increasingly feels a little bit like Franco Smith sees George Horn as his starting nine. Ali Price hasn't been playing. I don't think he's been playing terribly, but hasn't been playing that well for Glasgow. And and at the same time, we talked about it a little bit, whenever Ben White's had an opportunity in a Scotland shirt, He's he's looked really really good, and that's it. Well, I was I was I thought Matt might jump in there. No, because you've got nothing. nothing no, no, no. Your honor. I, I wasn't. I wasn't. There was no sort of lead in to my comment. <laughs> no, so, no. He um, no. He's. Uh, I just thought I was going to leave there for you to because I know you're you're a big Ben White fan. Well, that's the thing. I I didn't. You know, I can't really add much to your perfect analysis there. Um. So no, I I think it. I'm I'm actually pretty happy with that. I was. I think on. I think quite a lot of the selections that Townsend's gone with are on form um obviously some of that is injury um related but it seems like a pretty exciting selection to me and i think that white definitely suits the way that russell will want to play at least it 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 is interesting i guess it feels on that point around sort of he's picking on form there's probably slight in terms of making these changes in terms of you know ben white coming in for Price and especially sort of Jones coming in for Harris it feels like that maybe would have been something to do in autumn yeah it's interesting yeah to try and kind of give that sort of time to sort of bed in I guess ultimately you know Tupelo 2 and Jones have been playing together at Glasgow because that's so that sort of works together but it interesting that for the first match of Six Nations against England and also so close to getting to the World Cup he's gone I would say Harris and Price probably across the last three years have been two of the three names or two of the four names that you would have had nailed on for every match. And so it really does feel like one of the most dramatic shifts in Tunney's selection and interesting that he's chosen now to do it at the start of the Six Nations in such a big match away with the World Cup just coming up. Look, he listened to the pod and he was like, I, was, I, was I can't say, not listen. I can't not take Alan's advice any longer. I have to make a shift now. Have you have you sent Chris a message to apologise? or have you... Chris, Chris knows I love him, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Going for a beer post. Yeah, It is interesting, it, yeah. It out. Last pod, we had a bit of a go at Ali, Ali Price and Alan's had his usual diatribe against Chris Harris. So, you know, like, and then Tooney's he's gone for it. It's interesting, but... I saw a comment on Twitter which made me laugh. Um, the Hugh Pilotu, Tupelo Hugh thing. Tooney's just been like, he just bought the hype. Like everybody, <laughs> everybody's jumped in on that nickname. 
like World Rugby are using it in their comments. Like all the commentators think it's incredibly funny, and that it's it's gone from being a meme to being real life really really quickly. It's like the meme stock of World Rugby. It's like then, everyone, I think, everyone's buying in. I think there's worse. Re- you know, I love narrative and I love memes. I think there's worse reasons to select uh, select centers together. No, the, me- the, me- the meme stock the meme stock craze has crashed and burned. Is the only sort of cautionary tale I tell them. <laughs> yeah, but it did ride so high. It tell did, that to the board yeah. members. Tell that to the shareholders at AMC. They're loving it. <laughs> um, are you nervous that the last time that Hugh Jones started in England, we shipped sixty points, Alan? Um, at Twickenham, I mean. At Twickenham, yeah. Um, I like. That was a I great think... time when Alan, Alex Dunbar was carving up at twelve, and Hugh Jones was carving up at thirteen, and we thought this is it. Yeah. That is us set for a wee while. Yeah. That. 2016, sort of like oh. Pete, Pete Cotter, now yeah. back in the market, obviously. Um, how, far, yeah. how far we fell. <laughs> with, uh, yeah, with Dunbar and Jones. And that was like, Finn was still sort of just kind of come, like, he was obviously, he obviously kind of really came on the scene in sort of 2015, but 2016 was kind of when he like solidified his role. Tommy Seymour was still floating around. It was really, oh, Tommy. really. Yeah. And Laidlaw was still just like an absolute king. It was... Yeah. Uh, Really a great time to be a Scotland rugby fan. <laughs> I mean, I may have entered it flippantly and with a bit of a joke, but, you know, there's always been slight question marks over Hugh Jones's defence. So, you know, that trade for that very defensive minded Chris Harris at 13, as you say, Alan, is quite a is quite a departure for for Tooney and looks like we're going to give it a go. I think you know, there was obviously that stat. There was a few stats floating around on um, Twitter yesterday. Where I think you clearly Scott over the last couple of years, Scotland's attack has become less potent, mm. but Scotland's defence has got much stronger than it has been historically. Again, whether this is a focus of Tunisia to try and sort of slightly shift that attacking piece, I don't know. I, I think ultimately maybe some of it is just two point Jones Jones and Tupelo to both have on really good form and seem to work well together as a combination um but no I I, I like it to be fair I think it's uh it's definitely sort of a 10 12 13 combination that I would be extremely surprised if they weren't making something happen making gains making line breaks against that England 10 12 13 combination as well do, do you think do you think Townsend thought that Borthwick would go down a more traditional power-based route and pick, go back to Farrell at 10, to Lange at 12 or at 13, maybe. And he's picked someone like Jones and, and Tupelo, too. who's probably going to play anyway, just to try and manipulate that defence slightly um, and go for a more, I don't know, pace-gamed, skill-gamed approach. Um, versus now, if you look at those selections, it's actually like... It's it's quite similar in a lot of a lot of ways, which I didn't necessarily expect. Yeah, and then I, I think Jones and Marshman very similar players, and also obviously have played together and know each other extremely well. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I think if you if you look if you think back to that game that Jones got absolutely carved up, it wasn't a Tulangi running straight over him. It was um, Jonathan Joseph like yeah burn, burning him or. Just getting on, well, maybe actually more was Dunbar, but getting on the players outside and being manipulated. So, um, 
I, I wonder if that 13 channel is just going to be like a good place to attack for, for both sides. Make it fun. Hopefully. Yeah, a bit of fun. That's what we're after. And Alan, <laughs> your boy Kyle Stein brought in it. Brought in on the wing. Well, I think sort of leading on that point around sort of issues, potential issues around the sort of 13 channel. I, I am a big fan of Kyle Stain. I guess ultimately the only thing is, I guess, maybe not defensively as solid as someone like a Maitland or just nat- natural or kind of has experience in that role. Right. So, again, not like I a think, lot of people have lost money betting on Maitland this week. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I, market speculation on Maitland. It's. And I, I, I generally did think Maitland would, would go in. I, I guess, yeah. again, just Kyle Stain, just his general form over the last six weeks. I do, in attack, he is pretty f- fantastic. He seems to beat the first man on a significant number of occasions. Um, I guess, again, the only issue with Stain and is sometimes he has issues defensively and he'll probably be up against Hassel Collins, who I appreciate is having his debut. But... Is is one of the most sort of like natural finisher wingers in a I would say in world rugby, and I think if we're on sort of the back foot, Kyle Stain might have a tough time against someone like that. Um, I'd say it was, no. Stain's Stain's pretty physical though. It's no, not like if it is. was it maybe even although Darcy is a, a great defender and punches above his weight, like having someone as big as Stain and as tall, I think maybe. I think he'll be able to cope with that. Agreed. And I guess also, I guess, I think Kyle Stain is probably better under the high, I'm trying to think about under the high ball and whether Borthwick goes for a bit of a kind of bomb heavy approach, especially sort of early doors. I, I think that's one of the other reasons why people were thinking Maitland might come in because yeah. he's just so solid in every facet. I guess that's a little bit of a concern with our back three is are we going to be a little bit fragile if they start putting some bombs up? Appreciate it looks like it's going to be dry and um, and not too windy. But um, all three of them have had moments where they can be a little bit tetchy. To say the least. Yeah. To say the least. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we need to, we don't need to sort of uh, hand ring too much over the selections of Stuart Hogg and Duhan van der Merwe, two people that if they are sort of stuck on starters, I think it is worth commenting on on those bench selections, I think we talked a little bit about the forwards, um, and obviously you can see the the rationale of bringing on a, a Jack Dempsey. But the sort of the makeup of the back bench, you know, George Horn makes sense. Kinghorn, obviously, they're covering an awful lot. Do you think Harris is? If you're not starting Harris, do you think Harris is the sort of person that you want on the bench? Like, what does he bring? You know, if he comes on at 60 minutes, closing down the game if we're winning? I don't know. Seems ambitious. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. I think if that's your rationale, yeah. you're thinking, fucking hell, Toonie, what is going on in your head? I mean, I suppose it's just a bit of a yin and yang, right? That he yeah. is very different to, to Harris, to, to Jones, rather. So, I don't know, God forbid, if we're getting torn up again in the centre after, you know, even 50 minutes or something, then Harris comes on and and um, secures things up. I think he can also probably a push play in the wing as well, so... I wonder if there's like a bit of a flexibility argument in there. Yeah. And do you want to make the case for Harris being dropped from the 40 man squad? I'm also just not really <laughs> sure exactly <laughs> who who else you might sort of put in. Um, Redpath, who, maybe? Well, this is the thing. Redpath's the other one, but I guess can, would you ever want to put Redpath in that sort of 13 
roll, or you, I guess you could you could push two Pelota out to thirteen, I suppose. No, that is true. It's you know ultimately, and I guess Harris has previously sort of covered wing as well, so potentially has a little bit more sort of flexibility. It's ultimately, I think Harris, no matter what, think in terms of his sort of for recent form for Scotland, I imagine he comes across as a pretty well liked person within the camp and seems like quite a good influence upon the squad. So probably quite a good person to have in that 23, both from just sort of like an experience and sort of a culture perspective. So I think ultimately, there's like he he managed to he covers sort of you're happy with him coming on at centres and if needed the wing. And then he's probably a good person to have in that 23, both, especially away to England. And speaking of England, when you, you saw their squad announced, I think, Matt, you were in the WhatsApp group saying you just don't think it's that good. Are you prepared to stand that up? Well, I kind of I went last last night. I went through um, both 15s to do a kind of combined 15. Um, and I actually think that's love, that is lovely. That is way more preparation than we usually do for a podcast. Um and I think it's just in Scotland's favour, in my opinion. Um, so, so the people I think would get in ahead of their English counterpart are um, Richie, who I think is, although we talked about maybe some of his doubt, um, some of his flaws, I think he is a more experienced and overall better operator than Ludlam. I think that Fagerson, Matt Fagerson is now a proven international and while I like Alex Dombrandt I think he isn't that isn't the case with him I think I'd rather have Russell than Smith um I would rather have Duhan than probably either of the two wingers and although Stewart has played very well for England I would still ultimately at the end of the day have Hogg because I think that Hogg has shown himself to have performed very well against England over the long term and then I think there's like Schumann and Genge I think are the same um, I think Gilchrist is just as good as Chesham. Um, Crosby and Curry probably about the same in terms of um, both a bit untested at Six Nations. White and Van Poorfeld maybe about the same. Um, Jones and Marchant the same. So I think England do edge it in a few areas, but I, there's just something about the England team that doesn't. It's full of like good players, obviously, but it's not got. I don't know that like slight fear factor that I think they've had in the past when we've played them and they've maybe had like the Vunapolas on cracking form, terrorizing form, or Tuolangi, for instance, or even like I think we struggled against Ben Earl. I, I get he's on the bench, um, but I just I just think it is it's not a bad England squad, but I think it is beatable. I suppose it's also brand new as well, Alan, isn't it? Do you think we're as you said when you were plotting the path to the Grand Slam? You want you want to play this England side first up, right? Because this is their first game under Borthwick. Hundred percent, and just I guess slightly to on that as well. They this is a team that I don't think these Scotland players fear at all. Yeah. The, the the number of times they've beaten them, beaten England both home now home and away. The fact that Edinburgh took down Saracens at home and nearly beat them away. I I think. You know, when you compare it to sort of Ireland or France, where I do still think there's a, probably a relatively sort of significant mental block for these Scotland players, I think a they probably are going into this match relatively confident, and b to your point, Dave, Borthwick is clearly coming in and trying to sort of implement his game plan, and I think all, from from all intents and purposes, from what players have said, Borthwick is a very good coach, 
And I think ultimately England will likely improve throughout the Six Nations. So if we are going to beat them, especially at Twickenham, I think getting them first game up is the bet the best situation we could ask for. And to your point, that lets us roll into Wales at home and then potentially a Grand Slam. Steady. There's not there's not much beyond Wales at home. Yeah, but then it's France away, but then you're running away. <laughs> and Wales show that if you can get the first two games out, anything can happen. Oh, Wales, stop it. Wales stop show it, that mate. you can be that you can be truly terrible and win the Six Nations. Wales won the Six Nations two years ago with a significantly worse squad than Scotland have now. That's what always gives me belief that Scotland could do something. God, that was terrible, wasn't it? Oh, and then that was probably the fired. worst one. <laughs> Yeah, we we talked about like literally playing the hits. Like I know we're not playing Wales, but I can't believe that like Lee Halfpenny's still playing for Wales. He's... Yeah, although he's he got injured, so <laughs> Liam Williams. All oh, right, fair enough. Um, no, ag- agreed. Um, but no, focusing on this match, I, I, I still think England are def are objectively favourites, but I yeah. don't think any. I think the Scotland team will be going into the match without much sort of fear over what that England team's going to sort of bring. England are eight-point favourites on um, bet 365. Matt, are you thinking thinking Scotland win here? Tight Scotland win? I'm pretty divided because, as I say, I I don't think that England squad is is that good. But in their favour is the fact that they're back at Twickenham with a full crowd, um, new coach, it's the start of like a new era. And given the recent context of the Calcutta, I think they will be like super, super pumped. And obviously Scotland will as well. But I think just in terms of that, like motivation and, and the context, I think they've got a slight edge. Um, but then I was saying that this week and I just, I thought that England would pick basically as big a team as possible and try and beat Scotland up, which, you know, I was thinking about it in the week, like the two teams that we've probably struggled against the most as you've just mentioned, Alan, Ireland and South Africa um, in recent years, or under Townsend at least, is be- because they just batter us. We can't cope with the physicality. So if I was England, I would have been picking Tuolangi, even if he's not on great form. Um, but the fact they've picked like maybe a slightly more mobile, lighter team, um, I think slightly plays into Scotland's hands. Um Having said that, I, I have on the Fanzo predictor had England by Ooh. four. Oh, here we go. Here we uh, go. That's <laughs> um, where you show your true colours. Well, yeah, the proof's in the pudding, right, with Fanzo. Um, just because, yeah, for those for those reasons, I've 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 given. Alan, Hope I'm wrong. Where, where where are you at? So if 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 Fanzo is the uh, is the insight into our true position. I'm uh, I'm Scotland by one. Lovely. Oof. That would be so good. <laughs> be so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's I think it's actually going to be a relatively high scoring but tight match. And I yeah. think it's I think it's one of these ones where it's almost like total points will be over 40, but it will only be within a score. And I could see it sort of coming down to, to the end and I think I, I'm just hoping that with it's that sort of Russell Hogg axis which you know has its issues and has had issues across the last three years but I think especially against England seems to bring out the best in both of them 
especially Hogg. Hogg seems to really yeah. relish England <laughs> playing England. Yeah. Um, and so I think I'm sort of banking on on those two to to sort of guide Scotland home in that last sort of 10 to 15 minute period. I'm also I'm on Scotland by three on Fanzo, pint predictor. So I'm feeling more confident than you, Alan. I'm also on, on bet365. I'm eyeing up a little triple of do hand to score at any time. Um, more than 4.5 tries combined and Scotland to win between one and five. Which I think oh, is quite I like, a nice little... I like that. That's quite a, a tasty little option. It's coming in about five to one. And I'm like, that is... But it's actually quite short odds, but that feels quite nice to me. Change Duhan for WP Nell and see his odds <laughs> soar. <laughs> That's the thing is you can drop in like a George Turner and get those odds to go up a little bit. Yeah. Because hookers, hookers often do score a wee bit. But yeah, I'm, I don't know. Just feels like we kind of, we tick the under Jones. We had such a good stretch against England. And, you know, maybe Twickenham hoodoo has been, uh, has been broken ever so slightly. But it's, you know, it's just, as we sort of said at the top, it's just so exciting. Every year, even though we get caught up in the hype, and I know that after the England game and we've lost by 20, it's going to be like crushing and horrific again. But it's just such a great tournament. It's so exciting for, for Scotland, England every year. Like the hype is always there. First, and it's always the first game up now. What, yeah. what have you guys got for other games? That's a good point. To complete, complete the fanzo. Complete the fanzo. I have um, Ireland by 10. And I've got Ireland by 10 as well. Then. France by 24. I've gone for, I've gone for Wales. No, I've gone for Wales. Yeah, Italy. <laughs> France by 17. And I just think, I think Wales have got a good chance. I think Gatland back. They've picked like a very Gatland-esque team. Um, I hate such to say a Gatland it. team. I hate, I hate to say it, but I think they've, Ireland are obviously class, but I think they've got a good chance. I, I think this Six Nations is going to show that the Gatland approach and those like Welsh stars of like 28, 29 to 34, it's over. Oh, talk to me, Alan. Talk to me. <laughs> I, I just think, I think, Gat, I, I'm not, I just don't qu- quite sort of buy into the, the Gatlin hype anymore. I, I think actually it's going to get pretty fanned out. And I think Wales will uh, will go into sort of like full crisis mode by the end of the Six Nations, both on and off the pitch. Ospreys, <laughs> I think, will be done. It's. Oh my God. This, and, is, this would be too good. <laughs> It's oh, sorry, you can't be picking Lee Halfpenny. He, he's clearly lost his marbles. It's over. But we'll see. Well, I say I say that, and then we'll we'll, we'll lose to them at Murrayfield, and it'll oh, be the worst thing. Gonna, we're definitely going to lose to them at Murrayfield. Yeah, it'll be so bleak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any other business, lads, or should we get the day started? Let's if we have going. to. If we absolutely have to stop talking about Scottish rugby, we will. But please do, as we talked about there. Get that Fanzo app downloaded and get yourself into our league, Thistle. Um, if you do it by the end of today, uh, you will um, be entered straight into that prize draw for tickets for Scotland versus Italy. So a great thing to look forward to at the end of the tournament. Um, get following us on socials. I don't want to give away you know, everything, but there are some unbelievable memes and reels coming your way 
Um, so please do get us on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod and Thistle underscore Rugby underscore Pod and get the newsletter subscribed to, and we will be in your inboxes on Monday. That's on Substack, Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. Until then, Calcutta Cup, let's do it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.